Uh, turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1, I was re- recently asked by one of the churches in our classes to uh, preach a sermon on this chapter, and I'm going to be sharing that message with you uh, again today. Ma- Daniel chapter 1, reading the entire chapter. It's found on page 875 in your pew Bibles. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Aspenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, use without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans." The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And the Lord gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear, my lord the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by all, by you, and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this manner and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought in them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. 
and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them. He found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all, the, that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. The verse that kind of summarizes the theme that we're going to be working at, looking at today is found in verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. The King James Version translates that, that, that verse, but Daniel purposed in his heart. Another translation puts it this way, Daniel made up his mind. Everything else flows from this essential decision that Daniel made. Life is really a series of choices, isn't it? As a mighty oak grows from a small acorn, we make our decisions, and our decisions in turn make us. You are who you are today because of decisions and choices that you made many years ago. Most of the time, we don't realize how important those decisions are that we make on a daily basis. We don't think that much about them. That's especially true when we are younger. Many of life's most important decisions are made during our teenage years. Where will I go to college? What will I major in? Should I get married? And if so, how can I find a good mate that I can spend the rest of my life with? What career shall I follow? Who will be my best friends? What kind of music should I listen to? What kind of movies will I watch? Will I drink? Will I take drugs? Will I keep myself pure and holy? And sooner or later, we face the most important question that anyone will ever face in their entire life. That question is this, will I decide to follow Jesus? That question is crucial because surveys indicate that 90% of those who come to Jesus Christ do so before the age of 18. Choices, decisions. Which way will I go? Two roads diverge in the yellow woods. Which one will I take? I cannot take them both. As we come to our text, we find Daniel the teenager facing a challenge in Babylon. The decision that he is about to make will radically change his entire life. And when you read about it, it really doesn't seem like such a big deal. But it turns out to be a big deal nonetheless. Daniel and his friends are in Babylon having been torn away from their families in Jerusalem by King Nebuchadnezzar and the mighty Babylonian army. Because these young men come from a noble background, the king orders them to be trained in order that they can enter into his service. These are God-fearing Jews, God-fearing teenagers ripped away from everything that they have known, transported into a foreign country, and now being trained to work for a pagan king. Thus begins Operation Assimilation. The king makes sure that they get the best education that is possible, 
Babylon was known for their excellent schools and traditions of learning. And for three years, these young men are going to be trained in the knowledge and culture and history and language and religion of the Babylonian Empire. Their Jewish names are changed and turned into new Babylonian names. And at the end of that time, they will have to stand before the king and be evaluated. And if they pass that evaluation, they will enter into the king's service at a high level of government importance. It was a sophisticated kind of brainwashing that was placed on these young men from Jerusalem, making them forget their past, the traditions in which they had been raised, and to form a new allegiance to a new king and a pagan way of life. Everything seems to be going smoothly until one teenager decides that he can't go along with the program. God bless the young. Sometimes they have more courage than common sense. And sometimes God speaks to us through the young, and we can learn some real lessons from them, and we can learn some real lessons from Daniel, the teenager, in the account of the passage before us this morning. The first part of verse 8 tells us what we need to know. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. This is the crucial event in his life. Although it might have appeared unimportant to us, for Daniel, this was a very important decision that shaped the next 60 years of his life. I think it's fair that looking back from our perspective, Daniel's decision appears rather odd. We aren't Jews living in captivity in Babylon. So it's hard for us to understand what the big fuss was all about with regard to eating the king's food at the king's table. After all, as far as we can tell, Daniel accepted the bondage of the Babylonians. He accepted the pagan education that they forced upon him. He eventually even accepted a pagan name that was given to him. And if you're going to go along with all of that, then why worry about the food? What's the big deal going on here? Someone has pointed out that Daniel had to make three important decisions every day. First of all, he had to be participating in the pagan religion that was taking place. But he could disregard those things that he knew to be wrong or untrue and pass them by. Secondly, he had to put up with being called a pagan name. But he knew that a name alone would not define who he really was. And third, he had to eat the pagan food. And at that point, he couldn't escape what it represented. I think it's fascinating that what seems to be the least important thing to us was the most important issue for Daniel. This young man had a proper sense of priorities. He knew that eventually you've got to draw a line in the sand and say, this far and no further will I go. And for Daniel, there were at least three problems with the food that was served at the king's table. 
First of all, it certainly would not have been prepared according to the kosher laws of the Old Testament. Much of it would be ritually unclean. Second, all of this wine and most of the meat would have been previously offered to pagan gods. To eat that food in that situation would give tacit approval and endorsement to paganism. And thirdly, Daniel knew that sharing a meal at the king's table represented sharing the king's values. Even eating a meal today with someone implies huge symbolic significance. To eat that food in that situation represented a moral compromise that Daniel was not willing to make. And so he made up his mind. He resolved that he simply was not willing to do it. Now this is hugely important because it teaches us that you can't corrupt a man from the outside. You can change a culture, but not a character. You can change his name, but not his nature. Daniel may have looked like a pagan, but on the inside he was still a servant of the living God. And even the mighty Nebuchadnezzar couldn't do anything about that. I think we should pause at this point and think about what Daniel was risking. Certainly, he risked angering the king. The king wouldn't appreciate hearing that some teenage Israelite youth was not willing to eat the king's food at the king's table. That wouldn't sound very good to the king. In fact, it would sound like rebellion. And you know what kings in that day did to people who rebelled against them. Daniel was putting his life on the line. His head was at risk. He was also spoiling his own chances for advancement. We all know that there's a saying that says that you have to go along if you want to get along. You can't climb the ladder when you're rocking the boat. Look what happens to whistleblowers in any big company. Even when they are right, they are in big trouble. And if this blows up in Daniel's face, he can kiss his future goodbye. So let's flip this around and ask, why might he have eaten the king's food even though he didn't really want to? After all, he was far away from home. And no one back in Jerusalem would know anything about the food that he was eating in Babylon. Almost everyone else was eating this food at the king's table without any complaint. We're already in captivity, he might have said. What difference does it really make? God understands the circumstances and the situations I'm in. It's only food. We can eat it with our fingers crossed. I need to do this in order to get ahead. People will think I'm a narrow-minded legalist if I make a fuss about this. And you can always find an excuse when you don't want to do what is right. But Daniel didn't need an excuse. He had already decided that he was going to do what was right, no matter what the consequences might have been for him. Verse 8 says that Daniel resolved. That is, he made up his own mind. He couldn't decide for anyone else, but he decided that for himself, 
This is what he could not do. This was a line in the sand he was not willing to cross, and that changed everything for him. I don't know if he tried to convince anyone else to go along with him. The text says he simply resolved for himself that he was not able to do that. And his three friends decided that they would go along with him, and they would join him in this request not to have to eat the food from the king's table. And that leads me to repeat a point that I made earlier. The Babylonians could change everything. His diet, his location, his education, his language. They could even change his name. But they couldn't change his heart. Why is that? Because his heart belonged to God. And when your heart truly belongs to God, you can go anywhere and face any situation, and you're going to be okay. You can live in Babylon and do just fine, because even though your body is in Babylon, your heart is with God in heaven. And so the question for all of us is this, where is your heart? Does your heart truly belong to God, or is your heart fixed on the things of this earth? Verse 9 adds a crucial fact when it says, now God. Suddenly, God enters into the picture. He causes Aspenaz to look with favor upon Daniel and his three friends. But what happened after Daniel's decision? This is when Aspenaz looked with favor upon him, not before. Does God bless those who honor him? Yes, he does. But often you don't experience that blessing until after the decision to honor God has been made, until you stand up for what you know to be right and true and honorable. There's a blessing reserved for the bold that the timid never get to experience. Daniel's proposal was really very simple. He asked that he and his three friends be taken off the rich diet that was given to the others at the king's table, the royal food and wine, and be served only vegetables and water instead. And he put a time period on it. It's just for 10 days. Give us the opportunity to eat vegetables and water for 10 days. And at the end of that time, look at us. Make your evaluation. Compare us to the other young people, and then draw your own conclusions. Now, there are several attractive features in the way Daniel presented this proposal to Aspenaz. First of all, he was tactful in the way he spoke. He didn't demand anything. He simply made a request. Secondly, he was obedient in following the chain of command. He knew who was responsible for what, and he followed that chain of command as he should. Thirdly, his request was reasonable. The the test was only in 10 days, and it didn't require the preparation of any extraordinary kind of food. It was merely vegetables which would be on the table anyway. And fourth, it was easy to evaluate. The guard simply eyeballed the four versus all the others and drew his own conclusions. 
Verses 15 and 16 tell us that at the end of the 10 days, the four teens looked better on their vegetable and water diet than all of the other fellows who had been eating T-bone steak on the king's table. They looked so good that the guard decided to let them to continue on that strange diet of vegetables and water indefinitely. Thus does God bless those who make up their minds that they will honor him. The story comes to an end on a very positive note. We discover in these verses that God always honors those who honor him. In this case, the reward came very quickly. Often it takes much longer. Sometimes we have to wait for that reward to come. And sometimes we have to wait until we get to heaven before we receive the reward that God wants to lavish upon those who are faithful. Verse 17 informs us that God gave these four young men wisdom and understanding. That guaranteed that they would stand out above their Jewish contemporaries and far above their Babylonian uh, counterparts. And since cream always rises to the top, these young men will find themselves in positions of enormous influence in a pagan government. And by the way, it's important for us to notice the order. First of all, Daniel made the decision. Secondly, God honored that decision. And thirdly, God gave to Daniel and his three friends who joined him in that decision wisdom and understanding. You can hardly ask God for wisdom if you're still living in a state of spiritual compromise. Again, God honors those who honor him. Verse 18 skips to the end of the three years of education. The three years of brainwashing have come to a conclusion. And now is the time for King Nebuchadnezzar to step in and evaluate the education that these young men have experienced. This is the ultimate oral examination. They would be questioned on history and science and economics and, and literature and, and the Babylonian language and, and presumably upon the Babylonian religion, which would include probably astrology and, and witchcraft and, and all the rest. And these young men had to know everything that all of the other young people from, uh, from Babylon who were being trained for royal service had to know. And the result is absolutely astonishing because the king found them ten times smarter, ten times more intelligent than all of the enchanters and magicians that were part of the Babylonian kingdom. Talk about rising to the head of the class. They immediately were put in the service of the king. And verse 21 adds that Daniel remained in the court of Babylon until the first year of Cyrus, 539 B.C. That means he served as an advisor to a, a number of Babylonian kings for at least 60 more years. And all of this because Daniel resolved to say no. 
Before we leave this marvelous first chapter of Daniel, let's stop and draw some of the important conclusions, some of the the important applications that you and I can make to our life today. First of all, the world continually tries to program us into a different way of thinking. It happened to Daniel and his three friends through that systematic brainwashing aimed at separating these young men from their past. It involved a new location, a new education, a new diet, a new culture, a new language, and ultimately new names. Twenty-five centuries have come and gone, and nothing has changed. The world still attempts to separate us from our spiritual heritage. Obviously, our young people are most at risk. But the attack comes to all of us in various ways. We are promised promotions that will take us away from our families and away from our church fellowship. We are offered educational opportunities that fill our minds with godless falsehood. We are told to keep quiet about our faith until we get to the top. And then when our position is secure, then we can speak out. But don't risk taking chances before then. And all of us are bombarded with anti-God input that comes to us from various forces in the media every day. Make no mistake about it. There is a battle going on for your mind, a battle that is being fought every day of our lives. And some of us are losing that battle because we don't even realize that there's a battle going on. We just go with the flow. And then we sometimes wonder why we end up looking and sounding just like the Babylonians all around us. Secondly, we have to make up our minds in advance that we will be loyal to God. The key word here is in advance. Some decisions simply can't be made on the spur of the moment. You have to decide that you will not compromise in those things that are of eternal significance. And for Daniel, that meant no king's food at the king's table. It doesn't matter that we today have a hard time understanding why that was such an important decision. What's important is that Daniel drew a line in the sand And he said, this far and no further will I go. Your line may be different from mine, and mine may be different from yours. But if you don't draw a line somewhere, you're going to end up looking just like all of the Babylonians all around you. And that is going to mean that your witness, your Christian testimony, is going to be compromised and become worse than useless. So you've got to be smart. You've got to think ahead. Resolve in your mind what you're going to do and decide what you're not going to do, and then don't do it. Friends, I'm not talking here about brain surgery. I'm talking about common sense thinking about ordinary Christian values. Not every hill is worth fighting on, but some are. And it's better to die on those hills than to slink off in shameful compromise because you didn't have the courage to stand up for what you know to be right and true.
Thirdly, we must know our own limits and not do what we know is wrong. This follows logically from what I have just said. Daniel knew his limits. When they enrolled him in Babylon State University, he didn't object. When they taught him the Babylonian language, he learned it just like everybody else. When they taught him a new culture, he didn't rebel. And even when they gave him a new name, a Babylonian name, he didn't speak up against it. But when they said, you have to eat the king's food at the king's table, he said, I'm sorry. That's something I simply can't do. That would go against my convictions. And he didn't. He was courteous in the way he said it. And he was creative in the solution that he recommended. Make no mistake, he was standing up for what he knew to be right and true. And in the process, he was risking everything in the process. There was a a chance that he might lose his life over making this kind of stand. But he was willing to take that chance. To the Babylonians, it didn't make sense. What Daniel and his three friends were doing was absolutely nutty. But Daniel saw through the food to the bigger issues that lay behind that. And he knew that for him to eat the king's food at the king's table would be an act of disloyalty to the God he loved and served. And that was the line he was simply not willing to cross. It's such a small area, you might say. True and not true. Yes, it did seem small. But as we see, the outcome in Daniel's life was certainly not small. In the end, it wasn't small at all. There are no small areas. If our God is the Lord of all, then every square inch of our life must be yielded to him. He has left nothing for you to do completely on your own. Teenagers today face so many pressures. Sex is pushed on our kids at a very early age. So is drinking, so are drugs, so are joining a gang, so is filthy language and pornography and homosexuality. More than ever before, we need a generation of children, we need a generation of teenagers who have the courage to stand up like Daniel and to say no, and to say it with a loud voice, to say no to sex and yes to abstinence, to say no to alcohol and yes to sobriety, to say no to drugs and yes to clean living, to say no to gangs and yes to godly friendships, to say no to moral filth and yes to the word of God, to say no to sin and yes to Jesus Christ, to say no to cowardice and yes to bold witness, to say no to sexual compromise and yes to waiting until marriage, to say no to rebellion, and yes to obedience, to say no to the chains of sin, and yes to freedom in Christ. How will any of us find the courage to say no when we need to say no? 
like Daniel, you will find yourself from time to time in a moral crisis. How will you know it's a crisis? You will know it when you get there. And often you're not going to see it in advance. It's going to come up at you all of a sudden. So make up your mind right now that by God's grace, when that moment comes, you will purpose in your heart not to defile yourself in that situation. And four godly convictions lead to God-given rewards. Here's the final lesson. What starts with Daniel ends with God. What starts with courage ends with a lifetime of blessing. Look at what God did for this, this teenager, this courageous young man. God protected Daniel when he proposed that test that for 10 days he would eat only vegetables and drink only water. God prospered Daniel during the time of that test and afterward. And God promoted Daniel in the eyes of the king. And I cannot read this story without thinking of the words of God to Eli in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30. Those who honor me, I will honor. I told you at the beginning that this was a crucial event in Daniel's life. It may have not seemed all that terribly important at the time, but his decision not to eat the king's food at the king's table shaped the next 60 years of his life and his influence in the Babylonian Empire. And we talk about Daniel 2,500 years later precisely because of this decision that he made. And if he doesn't make the right choice, the rest of the book of Daniel never gets written. And he becomes a forgotten Jew living in Babylon who looks like and talks like and thinks like everyone else who lives there in Babylon. I know that in terms of scientific progress, the world has changed since Daniel's day. But God has not changed. And the word of God has not changed. And the world still tries to seduce us. And the good news of Daniel 1 is that it is possible to live for God in grade school and in high school and in college. And when you begin your career and as you make your journey through life, as you follow the, the, the uh, vocation that God has given to you uh, throughout the years. And Daniel shows us the way at whatever stage in life we may find ourselves. In 1873... P.P. Bliss wrote a, a gospel song about this story that became popular for a while but is hardly ever sung anymore today. And, and I was surprised and, and grateful to see that your worship leaders have chosen this song uh, to conclude the service this morning as our response. It's a song entitled, Dare to be a Daniel. 
And it goes like this, standing by a purpose true, heeding God's command, honor them, the faithful few, all hail to Daniel's band. Many mighty men are lost, daring not to stand, who for God had been a host by joining Daniel's band. Many giants, great and small, uh, tall, stalking through the land, headlong to the earth would fall if met by Daniel's band. Hold the gospel banner high, on to victory grand. Satan and his host defy and shout for Daniel's band. And then there's the refrain, dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand alone. Dare to have a purpose firm. Dare to make it known. The application of this message is really quite simple. It's taken from that song, Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to be a Daniel today, this week, in whatever circumstance you find yourself. Dare to be a Daniel this month, this year, and throughout the rest of your life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the testimony of Daniel, a young man who was called away from his home and family and religious heritage and was thrust into a pagan environment where he was faced with choices and decisions that he had to make. Thank you that when the crunch was on and the pressure was there, he was willing to make the right choice he drew a line in the sand and said, No farther will I go. I cannot betray. I cannot be disloyal to my God. And God honored that decision and poured out his blessing upon him and gave him wisdom and understanding so that he was able to serve in a productive career in the government of Babylon for many years to come. Grant that each of us may have that same courage, that same resolve, to dare to be a Daniel and to stand up for what we know to be right and true. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.